Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. TGIF. Welcome to Let's Go There with yes, Shira yes, and yes. Ryan. Welcome we're, back. Yeah, we're here for you weekdays on Channel Q, catching you up on the news of the day pop culture, our lives, so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. Yeah, honestly, I love a good weekend. And I love that we get to end the show on a good moment. We have a lot coming up today. We do. Uh, Florida passed this beyond ridiculous, offensive, transphobic Were you going to shorten the word ridiculous, ridic? Was that what you were going to say? No. It sounded like it. I uh, liked no. it. I was like, okay, cool. But uh, this is actually very serious. It's requiring this bill, some girls to undergo general inspections for school sports. So we have Florida State Representative Armari Hard joining us, who's fighting this, joining us in 20 minutes. Which I'm really excited about because this is super important. And shout out to our producer, Vanessa, for uh, securing that interview. Yes. Because we're going to really... Uh, dive in on what's happening here and why is it feel like the attacks on trans kids are, and trans people, they're just getting worse it's getting and worse. Next level. It's disgusting. What do you need to look at folks' genitals for? And what? And then it's just girls versus boys. It's, it's just weird. weird. It's weird. Uh, we always get to the source and we're doing that here on Let's Go There. Plus, why we're so tired after socializing now. I think that's wow. something we all need, including as we get into the weekends. Oh my God, it's so true. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, Brandon Hull, who's 19, killed eight people and left several others wounded yesterday before shooting himself at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. FedEx officials say that he was a former employee at the facility and last worked there in 2020. There were at least 100 people in the building at the time of the shooting. And here's Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett. What we are left with this morning is grief. Grief for the families of those killed. Grief for the employees who have lost their co-workers. And grief for the many Americans struggling to understand how tragedies like this continue to occur again and again. And the U.S. has seen at least 147 mass shootings in 2021. That's according to data from the GVA, a nonprofit based in Washington. 45 in the last month, according to CNN. It's horrible. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? 
Okay, so we got a lot to talk about because, you know, the Gucci family is speaking out against the new film, uh, House of Gucci, which, of course, stars Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. The movie may not be scheduled for release until November, but it already caused some excitement online last month, of course, after Lady Gaga shared the first official photo of herself and Adam Driver in character as Maurizio Gucci and his wife, Patricia uh, Reggiani. But despite the general excitement surrounding the movie, one group of people... They are not pleased. It is the Gucci family themselves basically telling the Associated Press uh, today um, that she speaks for the family. Gucci heir Patricia Gucci, not to be confused with Patricia Reggiani, (laughs) said they are truly disappointed by what they have seen so far, which hasn't even been a lot. It's literally just been photos. I'm not really sure. It's no trailers, no nothing. Um, So I'm not sure what they're kind of going off of, but they continued on saying they are stealing the identity of a family to make a profit to increase the income of the Hollywood system. Our family has an identity privacy. Wait, so did they approve this at first and now they're just seeing the product and they're not into it and they're probably not getting, uh, they're probably giving their feedback and no one's listening and so they said like we're going to to be honest, I'm not sure how much they're involved. Um, but they, she did add, she said, we can talk about everything, that, but there is a borderline that cannot be crossed. Now, this movie is going to be telling the sensational story of Maurizio, the grandson of Gucci founder um, and Patricia's marriage. Basically, Maurizio was fatally shot by a hitman two years ago. Um, two years later, when he was just 46 years old. And Patricia, who was, I guess, dubbed this black widow... They ended up finding out that she had a role in his death and she ended up serving 26 years. And so what we're going to be seeing is that whole story play out. And Lady Gaga is, of course, playing this whole major role. And so I'm not really sure how much the family's involved in this, but it seems like the family's pissed. But then it also makes you want to watch it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's I a think, lot of drama. I think Lady Gaga's coming for her Oscar. She oh, is yes, doing... this is an Oscar-worthy role. She is doing, um, you know, the moment, and I cannot wait to see it. It seems like she's acting all the way. If you want to know more about this story, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. And, of course, keep the conversation going at LGT Show everywhere. Now coming up, what is Dogecoin? And why everyone is freaking out about the cryptocurrency Elon Musk promoted? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Dogecoin. It's a cryptocurrency that was created as a spoof. You might be hearing about it a lot. It's on social media. It's trending. But it's turning out to be very valuable. Uh, It keeps on increasing in value. So what's all the hype about and should you be investing? Well, joining us right now is Evan Greenberg, the co-founder of Blockchain Beach, a news and content site, blockchainbeach.com, just basically an expert on crypto. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about the history behind this. Give us some context. Yeah. So uh, Dogecoin was created basically as a joke. Uh, There were a lot of people, you know, many years ago, creating a lot of coins and this guy sort of was like, okay, well, I'll create a coin and it's, I'm going to make it so that it's not even supposed to go up in value. I just really like the meme that's going on. There was a Shiba Inu that people were like memes 1.0. They were putting up a Shiba Inu with words. You can Google it. It's a whole thing. Uh, And so he just basically, he created a coin to have out there. So 
I guess I'm so confused because I've been seeing the word Doge all over my Twitter account. Friends have put in money on it. People I don't even know are talking about, well, what is this moment? But I'm just confused. Where's What's the value of these things? If it's something that was a joke, how, why is it increasing? How is it increasing? And... Does that mean like it could actually become like a like a, a piece of money that you know you could cash and buy things with? Like, what does this even mean? Yeah. So if you know, we probably don't want to start at what is Doge because that's like saying I want to learn math is starting at long division. So we want to. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want, we can start back accounting. Uh, and basically, there's cryptocurrencies, and it's sort of you know a new form of value. It's internet money, it's digital gold, you know, it can be all these different things. Uh, but sort of what's happened in the past is that, you know, starting with Bitcoin is sort of the main one. Uh, Bitcoin has had these massive rises and then these falls and then in rise and fall. It's happened a bunch of times. It's been very cyclical. What's going on right now is that there is a craziness in sort of everything financial because of part of it's based on covid but, you know, it was sort of trending that way anyway, where the COVID strike has created a point where there are a lot of people who are just sort of hanging on for dear life. So they're getting direct, you know, payments, direct stimulus. Then there's also people that aren't doing so bad that have also benefited from the, you know, Joe Biden just passed a $2 trillion uh, stimulus package. That $2 trillion, they're just sort of printing it out of thin air. The government can do whatever they want with money. They can say, oh, we need $2 trillion. Here's $2 trillion. So, so you're comparing this taught, like that to what's happening here. Like everything is kind of plain money if you think about it in the long run. It's like what, we put the value on it, which is similar to this Dogecoin, including when Elon Musk tweets about it and puts in his own money. It's like the, the masses coming in to invest in it raises its stock. Is that dangerous? Pretty much, though? yeah. The dollar used to be pegged to gold. And in the 1970s, Richard Nixon took us off of the gold standard. And since then, the government just gets to decide how much money they want to print. Uh, so similar to, yeah, how the cryptocurrencies work. Now, people trust the dollar more because it's used worldwide. You know, it, has, it stays at a value of $1. But what's happening with Doge and some of these other things like real estate, the stock market at an all-time high, is they are increasing in terms of the dollar value. So you can think of it a couple of different ways. It's either staying the same and the dollar is worth less or the dollar stays the same and it's worth more. You can sort of think about it both ways. So if people are listening right now and they really want to jump into cryptocurrency and just kind of put their, you know, try it out. Is Dogecoin some, something that they should start off with? Should they like and how much money? I mean, you probably can't say that, so don't answer that. But like, should people actually try it? Sure. None of this is financial advice, uh, but I certainly am not recommending Dogecoin. Oh, really? Um, Even though it's increased in value and price, people are making a ton of money? So there's a couple of things you can think about in that way, you know. So first of all, if it's gone up this much, how much more does it have to go? Uh, There are other cryptocurrencies that haven't not yet gone up at the same rate that Dogecoin has now. Uh, But, you know, very similar to what happened in 2017, Dogecoin actually did go up, you know, up from many fractions of a penny up to, you know, one or two pennies. It actually did go first. The safest cryptocurrency out there is Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You know, you don't have to spend $60,000. You can take your $100 and buy a very small fraction. We're in, if history repeats itself, we are in sort of the, you know, 
late, getting into the later stages of, you know, the cryptocurrency bull cycle. And, you know, it may go on a very long time or it may come sort of crashing down and then five years from now go back up again. So when it comes to any of this investment, first of all, don't invest anything that you, you know, can't lose. And, you know, if you do invest in any of these and make money, just make sure you sell some of it before it's too late. So Evan Greenberg, co-founder of Blockchain Beach, thanks again for being here and for your advice. So good. Yeah, thanks, guys. Coming up on the show, the ridiculous bill Florida just passed that would force girls to undergo genital inspections. What is going on? And, of course, we have Florida State Representative Amari Hart, who's fighting this, joining us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Florida House passed a bill this week banning transgender girls from participating in school sports and requiring girls whose sex is, quote, disputed to undergo inspections of their genitalia. Okay, Uh, Florida State Representative Amari Hardy joins us right now, who's fighting this. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on the show. It's just unfortunate that this is what we have to talk about. Yep, that is true. What happened? How did this pass? This is crazy. And I know you fought so hard against this. You know, this this week was one of the most draining weeks that I've experienced as a legislator so far. Uh, This was a bill that was introduced on uh, the Republican side of the aisle in both the House and the Senate. And this was a priority of the Republican leadership here and also of Governor DeSantis. And this was something that was rammed through. Uh, We put forward uh, 19 amendments to this bill uh, to try to change it and to and to make it more inclusive, uh, knowing that we didn't have the numbers. And they rejected all of them. You know, we tried to carve out elementary school age children, middle school age children. They rejected that amendment. We, we tried to create alternatives to, you know, allow trans students who, um, you know, have undergone hormone replacement therapy or puberty blockers. Um, and they rejected that. I mean, we tried everything that we could. And they were they were just dead set on on harming and excluding trans children to make a political point. Are pediatricians also speaking out about this? Because it just doesn't seem like they, because if they are the ones having to do these just vile, like, procedure performances or whatever it is, it just feels like they would, if they don't do it, then how else is it going to get done? Like, if they don't sign up for it, you know? Well, we have not heard from the medical community about this bill. Um, Frankly, the medical community is under attack also from the legislature and, and they have, you know, their own fights to fight and um, solidarity is, is not in everyone's vocabulary. Right. Um, but, you know, we have not heard from the medical community about this bill. Now, wow. uh, genital inspections or an examination of the student's reproductive anatomy would be one of three ways to verify that. But the other two ways are equally intrusive, Um, you know, verifying the student's genetic makeup, which would require some sort of genetic sampling. Um, It's just so messed up for a child. It's traumatizing. It is legalized molestation. Yeah. Okay. So that is what I was going to say. And I didn't know if I, if I was kind of questioning myself, if I should say that, because it does feel like they are legalizing an opportunity for these kids to go through this trauma to be molested. And it's like, is no one getting that? What, what do you think their obsession is right now when it comes to just the trans youth specifically that we're seeing in these Republican led attacks? 
I don't know other than, you know, the fact that uh, this is a rabid Republican base who are frankly, uh, you know, deplorable and they hate trans people. They want to use trans people to make a point and they're using trans children to make a political point and to throw red meat um, to their base. And I think it's important to call it what it is. This is legally required molestation of children um, in order to protect, you know, competitive parity in women's sports, which doesn't need protection. Trans student athletes have been participating in sports in Florida since 2013. Our high school athletics association has had a process for trans athletes to participate. And only now, after Donald Trump has waded into this and after folks at the national level have waded into this, do we see Republicans in this state and in states across America attacking trans youth uh, to throw red meat to their base? It's absolutely absolutely disgusting. And we should tell the truth and shame the devil. That's what the old folks say. That, that right? is exactly. Yes, that is exactly. That just reminded me of my granny. But no, seriously, because I, I think what's so interesting about this is if the bill is um, if the bill does pass and is signed into law, it's going to have, you know, face an uphill battle in courts. When we get back, let's talk about if, you know, what President Joe Biden could possibly do to help make sure that this is not going to happen. And if there's even that chance. So stick around with us. Don't go anywhere. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Florida State Representative Amari Hardy talking about this Florida House bill that got passed this week, basically uh, banning transgender girls from participating in school sports, requiring girls whose sex is disputed to undergo these inspections um, of their genitalia. And thank you again, Representative, for joining us for this. We know that President Biden has already issued an executive order saying that discrimination on the basis of gender identity is illegal in education, and that includes school sports. So how can these bills even get passed or be brought uh, to the court? Well, there's already a court case involving a bill that's pretty much identical to this one in Idaho. The court issued an injunction. Uh, I'm happy that President Joe Biden uh, did the executive order that he did. Also, Congress needs to pass the Equality Act. But the Republicans, frankly, do not care. And they are trying to score political points with children, with human beings and their dignity. And that's really what this is about. And are there any is there any examples or any evidence that Republicans in Florida are bringing saying, oh, these are the trans athletes that we're talking about specifically? None. And that's why this is so shameful. They cited, I believe, two cases in Connecticut where uh, trans student athletes uh, have done perhaps better than they expected. But, uh, you know, there were no instances in Florida that they cited. And what's so tragic about this bill is that there are trans youth competing right now who are having an experience that's a social experience and a, and a life learning experience competing in sports. And if this bill passes both houses and is signed by the governor, they will be expelled from their teams effective July 2021. Wow. And now with you, what's next with you? You obviously fought hard this week. What happens now? Well, uh, this bill is also moving in the Florida Senate. Um, It was postponed for a little bit, but, you know, they have uh, given us the message that this bill will be back on track and uh, we have to continue to fight it. I want to take a moment, though, to uplift um, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus members of the legislature who have been leading the charge. Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith, uh, Representative Michelle Rayner and State Senator Chevron Jones 
we are so lucky and thankful to have their leadership. But I also want to uplift Eleanor uh, McDonough, who uh, has done a wonderful job. She's a legislative aide here. She's a trans woman. And I just want to ensure that uh, as an LGBTQ plus adjacent person whose parents are gay, that we affirm uh, members of the community who are participating in this process, who are participating in this fight for their lives and for their dignity. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. Um, And speaking of parents, if I was a parent and I had a trans child, I would be mortified. I wouldn't know what to do. Is there any words that you can give to them? Like, how do they fight? Where do they stand in this? No matter what happens in the legislature in Tallahassee, just make sure that you know that, that your child knows that they uh, are loved. And when this is over, no matter what happens, we have to come back and we have to organize and we have to get people to vote all over the state. And we have to, you know, frankly, make sure that people hear us and make sure that people know that you can't harm and attack the dignity of trans children for free. We will make it cost you at the ballot box. We have to make sure that that is known. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you and your work. Thank you for having me on. And uh, we we really need to fight this. We will. We continue to do it right here on Channel Q, of course. And that was Florida State Representative Amari Hardy. We're always here for you uh, whenever you need to talk about anything. And amplify the yeah. message. This, this is what we're here for. Thank you. Now, coming up, one celebrity is back on Twitter after promising she'd never return. We'll tell you who next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, it's Transgender HIV Testing Day coming up on Sunday, April 18th. What you need to know. And we have a guest joining us for that in 15 minutes. How you can get involved. We're really excited to be talking about that today. Plus, why you are so tired after socializing these days. Yeah. It's real. Yeah, you know, and I'm just now kind of, well, I've always knew I had a social media, but I feel like as you get older and as you get older, you become more reclusive. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to be out more. If I could just have a dinner and be in bed by nine o'clock or eight o'clock, that is a successful night. Oh, I'm just happy there's some psychology behind it. We thought Zoom was making us tired, but also being in person is making it's us tired. It's that too. Yeah, it's everything. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. President Biden hosted Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga at the White House today in his first visit from a foreign leader amid tensions between the U.S. and China. And Biden used the time to announce a par- partnership with Japan. Japan and the United States are two strong democracies in the region, and we're committed. We're committed to defending and advancing our shared values, including human rights and the rule of law. We're going to work together to prove that democracies can still compete and win in the 21st century. We can deliver for our people and the face of a rapidly changing world. So today, we're announcing a new competitive and reliance partnership, CORE, between Japan and the United States that will enhance our ability, enhance our ability to meet the pressing challenges of our time, together meet those challenges. Japan- I don't even know what that means. It means kumbaya, <laughs> we like each other. We're going to be doing things. Uh, every time. Do we have, like, and I, obviously maybe I need to just learn more about, like, just... Yeah, foreign policy. And There's something there. That speech specifically is very, like, general, vague. We're going to do things. We're going to be great. I mean, it's as long as everyone's happy, 
As long as people aren't cyber attacking, bombing, doing human rights harm, tragedies, genocide, I'm good. Yeah, you went down a list, huh? It gets dark. (laughs) Police in Charlotte, North Carolina announced they are investigating the possibility that two murders of transgender women just days apart might be the work of a single serial killer. Wow. Yeah, both women were trans workers and both were killed by a gun. Leading investigators consider the possibility they may be looking for a transphobic serial killer. Now, as we all know, members of the transgender community have been murdered at an alarming rate in recent years. 2020 was the deadliest year on record with 45 trans people violently killed. That number beat the previous high of 31 in 2017. And as we know, because a lot of the trans community are dead named uh, and uh, misgendered, that number is probably higher. Yeah, it's really sad, actually. And I, if you uh, know anyone, I would just check in on your folks. Check in on your community around you. Check in on your strong friends, your your not-so-strong friends. Just check in on um, this community because it's it's a lot when you're seeing all of the attacks happening in the news. You're mm-hmm. seeing just people hating your existence, you know? And um, I think it is something that we need to be aware of and continue to let that be a fire underneath our behinds to fight these. That's for sure. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay. So guess who is back on Twitter after leaving last month? It is time for your T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Less than a month after she announced she was leaving Twitter behind, Chrissy Teigen made her triumphant return to the social media platform uh, today, saying, turns out it feels terrible to silence yourself and also no longer enjoy belly chuckles randomly throughout the day and also lose like 2,000 friends at once, LOL. I chose to take the bad with the good, or I choose to take the bad with the good. She followed those two tweets up with another responding to a fan who wondered what she had been up to since she went MIA and whether she had any fun antidotes to share with her followers. She said, I spent weeks just saying tweets to shampoo bottles. Um, I'm happy she's back, but also, girl, why even leave if you were planning on doing this the entire time? It's kind of annoying to I always say this. When you say you're going to retire or say you're going to stop doing something, are you really? What is she retiring from? Does she You know, but like Jay-Z, how many times has he retired? That's no shade to her. I really don't know what Chrissy Teigen does besides like cookbooks. She hosts. She's a personality. No, but she she, she was a have, model. She has cookbooks. Now she has she's cookware. She has like all this stuff. But for me, I'm just not trying. I'm not understanding why I do all of that. To be honest, she should have just stayed off because she's going to end up wanting to leave again because she can't take the heat. Or just take a pause. This is my Twitter pause. I'll be back when I'm ready. But why even announce it? Just go away. Everything Go needs away. to be an announcement these days. Because then people might be wondering, why is she not doing that? And then it's more news, so she just wants to nip it in the butt. This is why people think celebrities are annoying. What do you think? I would let you. I would love to let uh, have you sound off on social at LGT Show everywhere. Um, because I want to know, is this an annoying move for you? Are you happy Chrissy Teigen's back? I don't know. We are ChannelQ.com to find out more about this story. I am done spilling. Stick around. I got more next hour. She was still on Instagram, by the way. I follow her. I know she was. Yeah, but she's... Coming up on the show, how HIV is impacting the trans community and what's being done to support those at risk. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. This Sunday... Let's go there. We'll be right back. Channel Q. We are back. 
Hello. Welcome back to the show. Now, April 18th is National Transgender HIV Testing Day. That's this Sunday. And Sarah Cruz joins us right now, community organizer at Trans Health and of Trans Health Programming at the Wall Loss Memorial. Thanks so much for being here. Hi. Hi. So thank you so much. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're doing some great stuff, and of course, we wanted to feature this on our show today. What is the Wall Loss Memorials first, and what do you do? So um, we are a LGBT nonprofit organization. Um, we have many um, workers who work for different um, different places. So I specifically work with um, with the trans community um and there are other um there are other people in the in the organization that work with um with men other people work with the youth yeah so we um we really try to focus on helping the lgbt community yeah how does hiv currently impact the transgender community why is this day so important so it's so important today because um a lot of the girls are not aware of their of of like how often they're supposed to get HIV tested, um, and it's also really hard for for women who are trans to get tested. Um, I think it has to do with um, with um, with the stigma, and um, a lot of trans women don't have the money to really um, to like to um, like to go to places sometimes. And, it um, it can be hard for them to get to places to help them with HIV services. And how has it, I mean, obviously everyone has had to pivot because of the pandemic. And it's been even probably even more difficult making sure that people are just being educated around so many different things that are kind of impacting all of our communities, especially because we are disproportionately affected by all of this mm-hmm. going on. So how has your work pivoted in the middle of a pandemic? So so um, it really did change a lot of our work. So I started um, a, a online virtual, um, virtual group for women who are trans called She, Her, Hers. We have it weekly. We, we've, we've been having this since last March. Um, so it's pretty much been a year since, since we have been doing this. Um, and a lot of the girls come from different parts of the country. Um, I had one from um, Ohio um, last Wednesday. Um, and it's always, good to, to, it's always good to talk to them because a lot of them, again, are not aware of how HIV is is important because I think for trans women, we have a lot of other problems that we are focusing on. Um, like, first of all, with like surgery, hormones, right. um, H- HIV sometimes is kind of like, um, is not always in, um, not always on our mind. So it's always important to bring it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the stats are, really uh, crazy, according to the CDC uh, and other data, an estimated 14% of trans women have HIV, an estimated 44% of black transgender women, 26% of Latinx transgender women, 7% of white transgender women have HIV. So this seems to be Mm -hmm. a huge issue. What can healthcare providers do to be and do better? 
Um, see, that is what we are currently working on. But um, uh, again, it's just to have this conversation um, everywhere in in um, in any event that is going on. Um, we can talk about this more and not make it so so like kind of um, not. I don't know what's the word, but stigmatized in a way. There you go. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what I would say. Well, we appreciate all of your work and, and just the constant education that you're doing and even coming on the show today to educate us even more. We appreciate that. And we most definitely don't take that for granted. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that was Sarah Cruz, community organizer of trans health programming at the wall loss memorials. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And for more info to get involved, go to the org again, April 18th. This Sunday is National Transgender HIV Testing Day. Coming up on the show, do you notice you're tired after socializing these days? We'll tell you why next. The world is opening up. You're probably socializing more, hopefully safely. And you might be noticing socializing is making you more tired than usual. But why? Dr. Jordan Cart joins us, a licensed clinical psychologist. Thanks for being here for this. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get the word out and make everyone feel normal about their tiredness. Right? I mean, this is real. And I must say, I am the type of person that I would, I'm like an Energizer bunny. I I used to, I used to, when we could socialize, I would socialize and then hit a wall. And now I feel like everyone's talking about this. Like, I feel like finally people get what I usually feel. (laughs) But why is it tiring all of us to see people right now? You know, there, in my opinion, are so many reasons, so many that I keep talking to my clients about to normalize this experience for them. I mean, there's just the simple fact that this is a pandemic. Many crazy things have been happening. We're all kind of overwhelmed and stressed out from that and have been for the past year. And, you know, human nervous systems are very sensitive. Humans are adaptable and can adapt to things, but our nervous systems do get really stressed out. So to go from, you know, our normalizer, we're seeing people every day to now, you know, quarantining and being safe at home during the pandemic and being deprived of social interaction to all of a sudden a year later, just after we've been used to this to go back to, you know, all the hustle and bustle that we have. It's just very overwhelming. I mean, that's just on the surface level, kind of the facts. Yeah, and I have to say my experience was I've always had this. Even before the pandemic, it most definitely did not take COVID for me to feel like worn out by seeing folks. Um, What do you think this Mm -hmm. is really teaching us about the the boundary setting when it comes to, you know, saying yes uh, with going out? Especially now, I feel like people are really going to be feeling the pressure of being like, oh, I have to say yes to my friends now that the world is kind of going back to normal. Yeah, so that's a great question and a great thing to bring up. I've heard that from many of my clients. Like, what do I do? I don't feel quite ready, but everyone really wants me to jump on the train. And I think it's a great time to practice setting boundaries and practice different communication skills with people. Because the fact is, like, even if it's safe to do it, you know, it might be not as good for your mental health if you're already feeling really overwhelmed and feeling like, you know, we've also learned to associate social contact with not feeling safe right? Like 
Mm. We've been told like we could get sick or we could get someone else sick or somebody could pass away if we do have contact with people and bring it back to them. So it also takes time to get used to that. And so I think everyone first needs to start with having understanding with themselves that, you know, it's going to take time and it's okay that I don't feel like doing all these things. Um, and then from there, you know, work on setting boundaries with others and being firm in those boundaries. Yeah, and do what works for you. In this article in Bustle.com about this topic, it says you might be feeling tired because your sense of time is changing. What does that mean? Oh, that one is, this is another thing that comes up all the time in therapy. I think this one just has many different facets to it. I know myself even, like, um, since it's been in over a year now since... I started working from home. I mean, that's brought a lot of reflection time. And I think there was this meme on Instagram I saw that really felt relatable that said, wait, what do you mean next month is March? Last month was actually March. And that just really drove it home to me that like time has both felt really slow for people, but flown by for people. And we're not having our normal markers of time, right? Like we're not having things to cue us that like, oh, you know, my day is over or my week is over because we're a lot of people are working from home or might not have those boundaries. So that's done all sorts of things to time. And we haven't had things to orient us to time or to ground us in time. Yeah, it's like it was slow and now it's fast again. I guess will things go back to normal? Will we get back to a place where we can socialize and we're not feeling tired? You know, I think that we will. I think people just really need to be patient with themselves and understanding with themselves. Um, But I think it can be done. But I think, I guess my question to people would be, do we really want it to be exactly how it was? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know before the pandemic, I personally was stretching myself too thin, both work-wise and social-wise. And the beauty of the pandemic, I think, has, it has helped us to learn that maybe we need to slow down or maybe... We do need to think about our needs before some of these other things. And so, you know, I think we can get back to it. Again, I think it will take time. But I think we also need to, like, learn from this and keep in mind some of these boundaries. Keep in mind some of the balance that maybe we have acquired during this time. Do you think we'll take more time to uh, maybe rekindle relationships that we may have judged people? Like, if they weren't taking COVID seriously at one point, do you think people will be like, maybe I should revisit that friendship or maybe I should revisit these relationships? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the I first think... time I've left a guest speech. I could answer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think about that because, like, I know there was so much judgment around, you know, people's comfort level. And one of your friends weren't like if one of my friends were like out partying, which they were doing, I was judging Mm -hmm. them for sure. And so for me, you know, I haven't seen a lot of people, but there are some people that I'm like, now that I feel like the world's opening back up, should I kind of rehash that relationship or friendship? Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I think, you know, for me, if it was someone that I just wasn't hanging out with because, um, you know, I am high risk. So I was very, very careful with what I was doing and who I see and kind of had my own pod of people that I trusted that I would spend time with. Um, but I do have friends that would also go out and party and I judged them a little bit, but at the same time, like I think everyone needed to do what was right for them. Now the people that I might not be as willing to rekindle friendship with is like, if they were going out and partying and judging me and like, really not respecting my boundary of not wanting to do that or like not being truthful about maybe like having party the night before we had plans to hang out or not being like respectful of that. 
that to me is a different situation, but I don't know. I think everyone had to handle it in the way that worked for them, right? Yep. So I guess overall, it's okay if you feel tired. Take your time as we move into this new space. And also remember that it's okay to set boundaries. Don't judge yourself and be kind to yourself during this time. Exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Jordan Cart, for joining us today. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Definitely. Now coming up, we've got more Let's Go There. Don't go anywhere. Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, dissed Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other members of the squad in this new biography. We've got some tea, and it's not in the tea report. So Axios received some excerpts of Susan Page's Madam Speaker. This is this book, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. And in it, they're saying Pelosi unloads on the squad at one point, adopting a childlike voice when discussing Representative AOC and offers the squad this blunt advice. You're not a one person show. This is the Congress of the United States. I don't like that. I do not like that, actually, at all, that she said that. That's what she said? You're quoting her? Yeah, well, this was from the book. Like, this is an excerpt from this book. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had these conversations about, you know, especially when AOC first got into office and and talking about, well, maybe you haven't learned a whole bunch just yet, you know, kind of play the backseat for a little bit and then do what you want to do when you learn and all these things and kind of respect the system of it all. But I also find it annoying the ageism that I feel like happens from older folks to younger folks, specifically you, Shira. Oh, <laughs> I can't love this. No, but this is real. Listen, no, it's a real this thing. This is the only I, culture where we don't thing. respect elders. No, that's not true. We, that is I, so I respect true. my elders. I've no, always like, respected my elders. In the way of understanding and respecting that they're giving you real advice and like yeah, understanding but, the the like the path that it took and the time it took to get where they are. I think we all have acknowledged that because, I mean, trust me, I, I feel like ALC specifically has acknowledged that. But times have evolved. Times have moved on. And so this idea that we're going to be stuck in this Nancy Pelosi ass world is just not realistic. Things are evolving. You got to let the young people do the stuff that they got to do to get the change to happen. Because guess what? Nancy Pelosi ain't always been 87. I don't know if that's her real age, but she ain't always been that age. So she had to, she was young and radical at one point as well, not listening to old folks. So this is a cycle that I think sometimes people forget um, you know what? How it was like being a younger person, and it's it's slightly annoying to me. And her saying that, what is that supposed to do? Is that dividing the Democratic Party more, or is it putting them together? Because for me, it looks like you're dividing it and being shady in your book. I think that a lot of people have acknowledged this, and we've even talked about it she in our too show old for that. How uh, AOC and the squad, we're not debating about what they're doing is important. It's just how they're doing it. What are, are they playing a game of? Chess? What do you mean? How are they doing checkers? it? It's, no, we're... De- it, what do you mean? Are they playing the long game or the short game? But the long game gets us nowhere when we're dealing with the same things that we've been dealing ago with like decades. Nancy Pelosi and her team had all this time to get it done, and no one has. Not negating anything that Nancy Pelosi has done, because she has done things, but I'm, I'm saying moving forward... Uh, holding people accountable, I think we're seeing a new wave of politicians who are young, who are fired up and ready to do this. And I don't think that is cute for Nancy Pelosi to throw digs in her book like that. She too old.
She said, well, there are people who have a large number of Twitter followers. This is when she kind of dismissed AOC before for this New Deal environmental reform. What's important is that we have a large number of votes on the floor of the House. So, I mean, I feel like if there was a way for them to come together or like they would be stronger together, it is unfortunate to see this kind of tension between generations. And I here's the thing. I also what? do agree with the idea of playing the game if you need to, right? Like understanding the playing, it's not chess. I mean, it's not checkers, it's chess, whatever that saying is. But I, I also do think that the ageism of not also understanding that younger people are the reasons why we continue to evolve. Because and guess what? The, Older the, folks were doing that was, same thing. And for the path that was paved by the past as well. And people we have acknowledged that. that. Who hasn't acknowledged that? I that just, is literally me acknowledging that. Madam Speaker, the book will be available on April 20th, and it should be juicy. I mean, it already is getting this studio into a tornado. Now coming up, we have our conversation with former Congresswoman Katie Hill, who's talking about why Matt Gates keeps bringing her into his drama. Stick around for that conversation next hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, thanks for hanging out with us on this lovely Friday. Getting into the weekend. Woo! I mean, the weekend can't hurry up quick enough. You know, why does it always feel... Mm. Like the weekend takes forever to get here. When are you, do you think we'll ever realistically like, I don't know, consider like a four day weekend? Maybe. Maybe if we all, like this next generation takes over at that point, we'll be like, come on, four day weekend. I don't know. I just feel like capitalism is too strong for them. They're like, oh, you want me to lose a day of pay? Our money? Well, the question is, can we get as much done? But then that's also... A, a weird concept like we're just creating you're stuffing the illusion. it all in we're yeah. like creating illusion of what we need to get done it's all based on just like what we say needs to get done true I don't know I just I I I know so many people would love it including myself here's the other thing then there's folks that say like well just look at every day like a day and it's if you I, don't think of it like the week first the weekend those people. but let's be clear when you have you know a schedule and to work and you should get up like that is real and the weekend is just a different time what do you mean? Look at a day like a day. Someone's that's, just like I look at every day like I'm grateful. I put that this on sounds my Instagram like someone today. who's like super like no, privileged wait, no. well, and just like oh they have the ability to think like that. Well, so today I put uh, what what comes up when you think about Friday for you, and I get I go it's okay to want to disconnect. It's okay to want to take time off. It's the weekend. Enjoy yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then some people are like, well, I look like Friday the same as I do Monday. I hate that. It makes me want a gag. <laughs> Well, um, coming up, speaking of stress, is some stress good for you? We're sharing how to get better at dealing with it in 15 minutes. Plus, former Congresswoman Katie Hill joins us to discuss her recent lawsuit, Political Scandal, plus comparisons to Matt Gates. Really? Yeah, I like this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's in 30 minutes. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Ann Arbor Police Chief Michael Cox gave an update on a shooting at Briarwood Mall, which was locked down after one person was shot. Cox says the suspect or suspects are at large. At about 3 p.m. today, we received calls, multiple calls for shots fired inside of the Vaughn Mall store inside of Briarwood Mall. Uh, we've, we've discovered one victim uh, with gunshot, apparent gunshot wounds to, I believe, his arm area. Uh, the non-life-threatening. Uh, we don't know how many suspects. Um, suspect is at large. And currently, uh, the mall is in lockdown, so we're trying to go um, store by store to make sure that we clear the mall and make sure that both the customers and the employees that work there are safe. At about 3 p.m. Now, today, like, now, this is after, of course, yesterday, the FedEx whole situation. 
Yeah, there's just it's too much happening, and it's it's weird because we're I think we're all being desensitized to gun violence because it feels like it's literally happening every second at this point. Well, according to CNN, 45 just this month alone. Yeah. 45. That's disgusting. We should not be okay with this. We should not get used to this. This yeah. is not normal. It's true. You're very. It's very true. It's very, very true. And to be honest, um, I've been watching a show as we wrap up uh, what's trending in the news. I've been watching a show called Years and Years on HBO Max. I would recommend it. And it looks at a dystopian universe of like with Donald Trump and Mike Pence got oh, second if they terms win. if they won. Oh, yeah. And then also it just it really shows you like, oh, we actively as people living in this society make these decisions. And, that, and then it plays out. What happens next? And you see all the things happening from climate change to gun control all of these things if we just leave it by the wayside what can happen and that's what that shows about it's yeah, really good. yeah we have more power to change things than we think yeah we and the do. little decisions we make make a huge difference we're here because we are here we made these decisions sorry that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news right so Lil Nas X new t-shirt line may be just as controversial as his Satan shoes. It's time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So Lil Nas X is continuing to ruffle feathers uh, following the release of his raunchy Call Me By Your Name music video, Montero. Um, so here's the thing. The rapper has decided to release a new collaboration with the T-shirt company that includes three $33 tees that poke fun at the whole entire uproar that his video received. Um, one read, I heart Jesus, followed by another message in a smaller font um, and that one part in the Montero music video by Lil Nas X when he, <laughs> when he gets nasty with the devil because it was a cool form of sex, self-expression and art. Another one reads, I watched the Montero uh, video by Lil Nas X and all I got was this lousy shirt and now mm-hmm. I'm also gay and love Satan. That's funny. <laughs> you know, Lil Nas X does such a great job of one being the best internet troll I feel like I have ever witnessed in modern time. But then also not apologizing for anything. He's not apologizing for the art. He's not apologizing for being himself. He's also going to profit off of it. And um, honestly, I couldn't couldn't stand more. He's amazing. He's going all in. Yeah, for sure. And it's bold, courageous, and fun. Yeah, I'm obsessed with him. Uh, check out the t-shirts. Maybe order one. Uh, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to uh, watch, find out more about this story. And of course, keep the conversation going at LGT Show everywhere. Okay, coming up, why some stress is actually good for you and how to deal with it. We're here to help next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Why some stress is actually good for you. It's all about how you deal with it. That's the headline for this article on today.com, and it got us thinking. Is that possible? Because, you know, we can all be stressed, but is it just about changing perspective? Well, here to break that down is Dr. Vale Wright, who's a clinical psychologist and senior director of healthcare innovation at the American Psychological Association. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here again. Yes, so... I guess, can stress be good for you? Or is all stress bad? So I actually don't think of it that way at all. I don't think of stress as good or bad. I think of it as inevitable. 
no matter who you are, you're going to experience stress at some point in your life. And it really has to do with how you manage it. And that includes how you physically manage it, emotionally manage it, and mentally manage it that makes a difference. Yeah, but that sounds a little bit easier said than done, that perspective, because it seems like you've kind of reframed how you should be taking in stress or looking at stress. So how do you, in the moment, when you're experiencing a high-stress moment, how do you think, oh, what? take a positive lesson from this moment? Like, how is that? Because it just seems impossible. I mean, sometimes you just have to deal with the stress in the moment. I mean, it's a brain response, right? So your brain is going to kick in in an evolutionary kind of way to fight, breathe, or flight, right? So you're going to respond in that moment. But then it's that secondary part, right? So it's after that initial moment has happened that you have that time to maybe take a breath and go, okay, now how can I manage the stress? But the best way is to maintain your emotional regulation before the stressful event happens. That way, when you get stressed out, you know how to manage it. Okay, but for those who might not get this lingo, what is emotional regulation and how do you maintain that? So it's really about um, staying in a place where when we get rattled, we can fall back on our resilience. And so um, it's at its really core, it's going to sound super basic, but it's true. It's really about making sure we're uh, sleeping enough, that we're eating healthy foods, that we're not being too sedentary, that we're not isolating ourselves. Because when we can really kind of engage in that self-care, then when we're presented with problems, we're better problem solvers. But if we're already upset and we're already disappointed and distraught, it just becomes really hard to manage. So the extent, and I know it does sound like I'm making it easier than it is, and I know it's not, but really it is at that foundation trying to engage in those things so that we can manage stress better. So this article that we're referencing on uh, today.com is really interesting because it, it says too little stress, you might feel less challenged and motivated. So is there a perfect balance of stress that we should be kind of aiming for? Well, it depends on the situation. So stress in and of itself, the function is ideally to motivate our behavior, right? So we want to feel a certain level of stress that makes us want to perform. So that level of stress that makes us prepare for the presentation or that level of stress that makes us study for that exam or the level of stress that makes me prepare to come on the radio station today. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If it's too little stress, then that kind of suggests we maybe don't care enough. Um, And if it's too much stress, then we become overwhelmed um, to the point where we might not be able to act at all. So there is kind of this balance. Is that a bad thing? Like if you don't care enough? Like I guess guess essentially care, it feels like, oh, if I don't care enough, then, you know, that means I'm kind of just letting it go. I'm just kind of like being like, oh, you know, something else will come about. But it, it feels like if you care too much, it's intense. But if you care like a little like I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say it just feels like the less that you care actually may be better for you because it's not like you're experiencing the anxiety around it but you might be missing out on something else right so if I'm in a relationship that maybe isn't going well and I don't care that probably suggests that that isn't the right relationship for me or that I'm not putting in enough effort to maintain that relationship so so it's about you know again it's a sense of are you not really paying attention to the things that are important to you. Or maybe it is your body communicating to you that this isn't important. And then you've got to shift and do something else. So interesting. Well, thank you for helping us navigate this topic. Again, that was Dr. Vale Wright, a clinical psychologist, senior director of healthcare innovation at the American Psychological Association. We'll see you soon. Now, coming up, she stepped down from her position as a congresswoman after a scandal broke out in 2019. Now she's fighting to make revenge porn illegal Federally. Katie Hill joins us for a great conversation. I'm so excited for this next. 
Now, we are so excited for our next guest. We've talked about her on the show. We're big fans about, <laughs> of what she's doing. We most definitely have a ton of opinions on how she's been treated. Exactly. Uh, and just to give you some context, former California Democratic Congresswoman Katie Hill resigned amid allegations of inappropriate relationships with campaign staffers in 2019. She then sued her ex-husband and the owners of RedState.com in the Daily Mail, saying they had distributed non-consensual porn and accused them of cyber exploitation. Katie Hill joins us right now. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Now, what has life been like since this all happened and you made national headlines? Because, oh my God, um, you know, I would say (laughs) you made the best of it because you've done a lot since. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was so two traumas happened back to back, uh, everything that was in the national headlines, but then Literally, uh, two months later, my, my mom had brain surgery and then my brother died of an overdose. My younger brother died of an overdose. And so I went into just like full, I can't do anything. I like hid in my apartment for, you know, a a long time. Um, I, I was able to write my book during that period because it was, it was actually really cathartic for me. Um, but you know, after, oh gosh, it it was, it took a while for me to start kind of like reemerging. Um, and figure out where I am with my life. And I think I'm finally kind of starting to hit my stride again. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wonder how you're feeling now because you did lose the case, the lawsuit that you had against Daily Mail, and the judge obviously didn't even see it as revenge porn, which I'm sitting here like, what? So how did that um, make you feel in this this moment? Because it does feel like you hit a a dead end. Yeah, no, I'm I'm appealing that. I... uh, I feel like the judge completely got that wrong and that the implications of that ruling are too big for too many people if we let it stand as is. Yeah. So I feel like we need to go to the appellate court. The appellate court can, even even if ultimately they rule that there's some kind of exception to it that I happen to be in a rare case, the exception to, they cannot let it stand that the, the, the judge's ruling has it so that basically anybody who's a secondary distributor, so let's just say, you know, you, as a, as a bitter ex of somebody, you decide to give it to anyone and then they can publish it for you. That, that person who's complicit in it, that person who distributes it from there is completely unaccountable. The platform, there, there could be websites that pop up that are like revenge porn, you know, basically, yeah, distributors. And, and those have been there before. But anyway, the judge's ruling is so bad that we have to appeal it, even if it doesn't ultimately win for me. So um, that's what's next. Well, it's amazing because you're in very, in very many ways, you're an activist, but you obviously were a congresswoman, duh. Yeah. So, like, yeah. it makes me feel like you've resigned, but once you resign, can you not go after it again? Uh, no, you're allowed to run again, and I haven't written that off. Like, there was, you know, when, when the seat switched back to Republican, I thought, I don't know, like, I can't be okay with this being the ultimate outcome. And, um, you know, that, I, 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 I don't know at what point I'll feel like I'm ready to, to run again, but it, I definitely think that it's a possibility in the future. Well, there's such a stigma when you're even around your case. I mean, the misogyny just jumped out mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and it, it's so unfortunate. Do you feel like if you do run again, that you'll still kind of come into um, like that happening all over again? Like, do you feel like, Oh, have people really kind of moved past this and kind of progressed in their thinking? I feel like the only way I'll be able to run again is if I 
have fully embraced that. That just like it is what it is. I'm running as me. I'm running with all my baggage, all my flaws, just right out there. You all know it. And you are consciously making a decision as to whether that's something you want. Um, so I think that the next, you know, I, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm at that spot yet because I feel like I have a lot of work still to do. The most important thing for me now, and this is what I founded pretty much right away, was uh, Her Time, which is the political action committee that I started, which has been supporting basically women running for office. Many times they're the long shot candidates that don't get a chance, um, especially when the guys are, you know, the ones that are put, backed by the political establishment. They've got all the money and they've got all the resources. So we've been backing women. We started doing that and uh, we converted all my campaign funds into doing that. Um, and then we did, we actually helped during the elections. Uh, we did some independent expenditures during the elections. And now what we've been focusing on is advocacy around specifically the passage of the Violence Against Women Act. And um, we made it through the House. We got a provision in there for a for basically making a uh, uh, making revenge for a federal crime, which still doesn't exist. Uh, It's a patchwork of state by state laws. And it was a big lift to get it into that package that passed the House already. And now we have to get it to pass the Senate. And frankly, you know, People are not paying as much attention to the Violence Against Women Act that is not infrastructure and is not a coronavirus, you know, relief package or a jobs plan. But it needs to freaking get passed. And we cannot, you know, we, we don't need to solve the filibuster for it, but we should be able to get 60 people to vote for it now. Oh, and yeah. it's you know, bipartisan thing. So that, that's basically where my, my advocacy and my time is focused for the time being. So it's so important. And of course, follow at her time 2020 for more on that. But again, we're going to be coming back with former Congresswoman Katie Hill. After this, we have to ask you about Representative Matt Gates bringing up <laughs> your name as it relates to his allegations of violating sex trafficking laws. Honey, I'm so Come sorry. On. More on that next. We are back with former Congresswoman Katie Hill. Thanks again for joining us. It's great having you on. Thank you. Now, uh, Florida Republican Representative Matt Gates brought up your name recently in an op-ed he wrote saying he would not resign over allegations of violating sex trafficking laws, which he has still denied. What do you think of him referencing you and just implicating you, including you in this mess right now? Oh, my, my reaction was like, get your name, get my name out of your mouth. Like right now, I can't even, um, uh, yeah, I was just like disgusted by it. There were, I can't remember if that happened before or after it started to come out that, you know, he was possibly sharing, well, that he was sharing photographs of, uh, of women on the house floor. That was when my like rage boiled up and I had to immediately start writing that op-ed that I did. Um, but I found out later I think it was later that uh, that he had, you know, compared himself to me and his how his defense of me was somehow any in any way, shape or form related to what is going on with him now. So um, I just lost it a little bit. So, so were you all, I would love to clarify this because I, I, I read your op-ed in uh, Vanity Fair and I thought it was really great, but I was wondering, were y'all really friends? Because now no. after talking to you, I'm like, how could y'all even been friends? No, I mean, that's the thing. And I described it in there. I'm like, we, we like had it in the hallways sometimes. There was like friendly banter a little bit. We were, uh, so it's like, it's like someone you're friendly with at work. You know what I mean? It's not like we were having late night calls or going out to drink. I think we went, we got a drink once when he was filming his documentary um, and it was filmed. So this was like right after I'd resigned and it was like about, we were talking about HR one. So anyway, um, but no, it's not like, 
it's not like I go around saying I'm friends with Matt Gates, but we got pegged that way. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, so, so now, now I'm like on these, on, you know, the news channels and, and it's like ex friend of Matt Gates. And it's I'm like, like, you're clearing oh, your name. I don't mean to be doing like a press tour of this. But, right? you know. You're like, I, yeah, this it's it's wild. But what do you think about the double standard here? I mean, it's so obvious when there's so many politicians uh, that uh, it's that get brought up for things that are not good. Right. That are illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they don't need to resign. And yet you had to resign for something that was not illegal. Exactly. Um, Yep. No, I think that there's this double standard that's not just for women, but it's for members of the LGBT community in a, in a big way. And um, I think the fact that I was a woman, that I was bisexual, that I was that the the pictures were there. I mean, that really weighed in on my my own decision to resign, to you know not try to kind of wait it out at all. Um, but also just a personal a sense of personal responsibility, like this is the right thing to do. And this is what I need to do for, you know, the people that I've affected and, and, and for my own mental health. And um, I don't know. I don't know if it's just that there's this, you can't, this feeling that you can't admit anything because, or you can't say sorry because then you're admitting some kind of guilt mm. that seems to be stronger for men. Or if there's a, um, I, honestly, I, I really, I really don't know what it is. And it, it's, it is in, increasingly infuriating. The more, the more scandals that go by, the more, Simultaneously, I get beyond frustrated, but also in a way validated and and a bit, you know, more committed to my work and to um, making sure that women do not face the same kind of crap that I did. Yeah. And the fact that Gates did support you at the time when this all happened, Mm -hmm. uh, does that make it even more strange considering, you know, you you feel like you understand why he supported you? What? At the time, didn't Gates support you in not like he he was one of the ones who was um, like making sure that you didn't step down? Oh, no. I mean, no, he 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 sent a thing defending me saying that basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was the first one. That, and that was what I wrote about in Jenny's Fair, right, is that he was the he was the first outspoken member of Congress who said that, you know, the the photos are not anyone's business or whatever it was. And I appreciated that. That like meant a lot to me, especially at the time that I was, you know, mm-hmm. not. Um, I didn't. Ha- I didn't feel like I had very many allies. But you can only have a, uh, you know, a, I guess when it, everything that came out since then is it, it makes you wonder what that was about in the first place. You know, I do wonder, do you think the relationship when it comes as more politicians come into the game and obviously they're millennials and Gen Zers and this relationship with social media and just the media in general, do you feel like we'll start to kind of be more lenient to to folks when it comes to technology? Because at this point, everyone has a Facebook page. Everyone has embarrassing photos of themselves that, they, you we're, know, are... We're are, human and sexual creatures. Right. And Let's so be clear. I, I do wonder, do you think that we have, you know, do you think we'll progress in that way? And uh, when I you kind of pioneer to. some sorts, I really do think we're going to have to. And I think that, especially millennials, the people who, start, you know, who grew up on their phones, right? Like who, who phones have been a fixture of our lives since we were old enough to, you know, to really be doing stuff out in the world. And MySpace, ever since MySpace has been around, that's what was that? Well, I guess I was in college when that came out, but early enough. And um, so, I, yeah, I think I think that everyone. We all look inside ourselves. We know that there's stuff that 
we haven't been perfect about, that we've made mistakes about, probably that we've, you know, done things that other people see in, in ways that we don't, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's, you know, my biggest thing is, as, as, a, as a politician or somebody who decided to run for office was that we need real people to represent us. We don't want these perfectly manicured, coiffed people who have hidden everything away and who, you know, are like these, they have been preparing their entire lives or have been prepared their entire lives to be politicians. But that if we want true people who have had real experiences, experiences aren't always beauty and light. They can be dark and they can mess you up and they can have a psychological impact and, and we all deal with the consequences. Yeah. And, and so um, I think that younger people get that and they get that we, you know, it means that we're going to have to um, to change our perspectives around it. But to me, that galvanizes me around wanting to make this revenge porn thing a non-issue. Because if you can weaponize somebody's pictures, especially their naked pictures, for any political campaign, for any, you know, you can, you can literally give it to right-wing media and use it as a political weapon, then that keeps so many people from running for office in the first yeah, place. Yeah, it does. You're uh, right. All right, we need a wrap. Is Elizabeth Moss playing you in a movie? Can you confirm? Is it happening? When is the movie coming it's, out? We don't have date. We don't have dates on it yet, but um, it is the plan. <laughs> okay, that's all. I just had to ask that. Uh, <laughs> Representative, uh, former congressman Katie Hill, thank you so much again for being here and for being so open with us. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. Uh, check out Katie's book out now. She will rise, and also her time pack at her time twenty twenty in her podcast at Naked Politics. We'll be back with What's Trending This Hour next. Up on this show today, Florida has passed a bill requiring some girls to undergo general inspections for school sports. This is so messed up. Yeah, for sure. We have Florida State Representative Amari Hardy joining us, who is fighting this, joining us in 20 minutes. But first, let's get into some What's Trending This Hour State employees administering Alaska's permanent fund failed to give gay couples their benefits over four years after the state's ban on same-sex marriage was voided. The oil wealth check provides dividends that are basically distributed to most citizens of Alaska annually, and it's a constitutional order. But after years of litigation brought by Alaska resident Denali Smith and three others, the state has finally agreed to do what they should have been doing to treat marriages between same-sex couples equally years after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of marriage equality and so that all marriages must be treated equally. So I'm happy these gay couples won this major victory in Alaska. Now, Simon & Schuster said late Thursday night that it had scrapped plans to distribute a book by one of the Louisville police officers who shot Breonna Taylor during the drug raid last year that resulted in her death. Post Hill Press, a distribution client, had announced plans to publish the book by Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly and drew sharp criticism. No surprise. Are you kidding? When I saw this story last night, I uh-huh. saw uh, uh, Phoebe Robinson. She's a part of the podcast Two Dope Queens. It's not a podcast anymore, but she got really big off of that. She posted about this, calling Simon & Schuster out. This is like, I feel like they're, Simon & Schuster are always caught up in some type of drama every other month. And the fact that they thought this was a good idea to give a platform to the murderer of Breonna Taylor, and it hasn't even been, what, like that long ago? Yeah, it's not like 10 years later and, <laughs> you know, you know, looking back or someone else writing it 
you know, a journalist about talking to him. Like, the, I don't know. No, the key factor here is that. But then also, when it's happening, the Derek Chauvin trial is happening right We're now. We're in it. Dante Wright is happening right now. Other shootings are happening right now. What were they thinking? This company does not care. They're only in it for the profit. And it's so disgusting that they even thought that was okay. And, you know, of course, Republicans are going to say it's cancel culture. Cancel culture this. Cancel culture that. No, it's not. Why would you give a murderer that opportunity to... What story do they need to tell? What story? So I am looking at Simon & Schuster Publishing's... Uh, our team, Publisher's Office. Uh, there, There's one black woman here. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Uh, editorial has... I mean, it's just... The fact is, they, they do have some diversity. However, it's like, yeah, you wonder in these conversations, like this brainstorm, I don't care what bot tells you this will get sales. Well, because you kind I of have, go back to being human. Because I have diversity on the side doesn't mean those people that are, you know, deemed diverse have any power. Well, the top one, Dana Kennedy, SVP and publisher, is a black woman. Once again, doesn't mean... I don't mean nothing. I, we don't know nothing happening there. There you go. It's not happening anymore. But still... They've been called out. It's so, it, that is such a shame. I cannot believe that. That was the worst news I saw. Well, it's good news, I guess, that they s- decide not to do it. Yeah, I guess. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so Jeffree Star, the infamous Jeffree Star, unfortunately, has um, has been in a severe car accident. It is time for your T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Jeffree Star is recovering in the hospital after a severe car accident. A member of his team posted a photo with him and his friend holding hands in the hospital alongside saying this. A few hours ago, Jeffrey and Daniel were in a severe car accident and the car flipped three times after hitting black ice. Oh. They said, we will update you all when the doctor gives us more information. So thankful that they are both alive. I mean... First of all, I feel like Jeffrey only drives like those little Lamborghinis, small cars. So the fact I can just imagine that, that car flipping like three times, that I mean, it's a miracle that they're alive still, to be quite yeah. honest. Yeah, I mean, hitting black ice, that's deadly. Yeah, you know, Jeffree Star is not my favorite person, but I am not going to wish death or anything negative. Who wants anyone to go through that? Um, but it, it happened in Wyoming. He was driving his new pink Rolls Royce SUV at the time of the crash, so he wasn't driving the Lamborghini. Um, he announced that he was moving to Wyoming um, in August 2020 and then that's when this whole thing happened which really interesting that he lives in Wyoming well, and Kanye yeah him Wyoming. and Kanye no, no buddies in Wyoming yeah so hmm. I don't know uh, this is a, a ongoing thing of course I you know I might care enough to update you all again who I probably won't to be quite honest but we're wishing you a speedy recovery yes. for we're, sure we're happy that he's doing well we're wrapping up the show as we always do with some inspiration, our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So Jesse Hamilton was a cook at the Phi Gamma Delta Fraternity House at Louisiana State University, uh, but she was also a therapist, cheerleader, and a friend. So she was working a as a things. cook for all these frat bros, okay? Starting in 1982, for 14 years, around 100 frat brothers. That's a lot to deal I with. I mean... For me, that sounds like a good time, but I doubt. <laughs> so you know. one of these brothers, Andrew Fuziotti, graduated in the late 1980s, but still remembered her and basically found out from her children that she needed $45,000 to pay off her mortgage. So he started a fundraiser. More than 90 brothers from across the country donated a total of over 51 
$1,000. And on April 3rd, a dozen of the vaccinated brothers surprised her outside of her is it Baton Rouge? Baton Rouge. Yeah, Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge. Yes. I was thinking about it as a baton. Like baton Rouge. Baton Rouge home. And after seeing Happy Birthday, they gave her two checks. They surprised her that many years later. Oh my God. It's very sweet. So we love that story. We give uh, the uh, the cook, the chef, the woman who gave her all, Jesse Hamilton, and of course, all the frat brothers, a Yaz Queen of the Day. I mean, I'm obsessed with this. Yeah. Yes, Queen. And Phi Gamma Delta. Not sure if someone was part of that frat. Shout out to you. I mean, we don't know about that. My thing is, I get nervous about call, like calling out and supporting certain frats because mm, you just never know true. if they've gotten into any drama or if they're in they any drama. Did at a that's what point. I'm saying. You just never, never know. But in this story, in this case, it's a yes, Queen moment. And that does it for our show today. Mm-hmm. Friday vibes. We'll be back. Monday weekdays here live on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Monday's show. We're going to be talking about the heavy financial burden of going on Drag Race. Oh, oh my goodness. I mean, the queens are speaking out. They had a Vice.com article that they did. Um, and with hopefully we're going to get the, the writer on, the journalist on, to talk about that because it is very expensive. I mean, queens are spending their life savings up to $50,000 or more just to come on this show for a life-changing experience. It's a lot. Not yeah. accessible, necessarily. Not Plus, why you shouldn't skip your second dose of the coronavirus vaccine? That's on Monday's show. If you miss any of our shows or our interviews, please join our podcast family. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. Binge listen over the weekend. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. And stick around for DJ Alex D and what's popping next. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Get ready, y'all.